Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. We're back after a 2-0 week, beating Creighton, avenging the loss against Creighton, winning a trap game at DePaul. Love it. 2-0 week. We're now on a four-game winning streak. Rob, how are you feeling? I am feeling good. I feel like we missed an opportunity to be the backwards hat podcast this week. And I wish I would have gotten that memo ahead of time. I could easily solve that by turning my hat around, but I'm committed to the look. Seems like a very easy solve. I'm committed to the look. So I'm sorry. It's we've, we've missed the opportunity, but hat look aside, I am also excited for the week coming off of two and O feels good. What does that give us four wins in a row? So starting to feel a little bit, a little bit better thing. I'm most excited about, which we'll definitely get into is the rotation, but good God, DePaul is such an absolute dumpster fire. It's such a nice arena too. What a waste. Maybe we could take their arena and just move it to Villanova. Anyway. DePaul is not a dumpster fire in the first half, but we'll get into that. Ah, whatever. Yeah. That's a, that's the, a whole very dumpster fire. The Again, I would normally ask you what you're drinking, but I think I just saw you having a sip of coffee. I, I have a fun Christmas coffee. I'm doing belated Christmas at Nicole's family's place this yeah. weekend. So, so if you're watching on YouTube, it looks like Rob's in a studio because his father-in-law is in a band. So there you go. That's true. I look super professional. I've got like sound insulation over here. If only the quality of the podcast matched the quality of my surroundings. But yeah, I was hoping that you I was hoping that you brought your little like accordion. Uh, divider with you. Ah, that would have been good, but no, no. Um, I am also having a a, a cup of coffee. I am in the middle of dry January and uh, I can, needless to say, this weekend got tough. It was, it was easy. First of all, it was easy for the first few days. Um, You know, after, after kind of the drinking fest that is the holidays, but yeah, man, this is, it, it got tough this weekend. I was like, like looking for a beer during the game yesterday. It was tough. Well, um, just just as a shout out to our fans, I will not be doing dry January. So with this podcast aside, I'm going to step my game up and I will commit to our fan base that no matter our recording time next week, I will be drinking whiskey. 9 a.m., 8 a.m., I'll make it happen. That one's for you, fans. Rachel's never going to let you do 8 or 9 a.m., so you're fine there. So you're probably looking at a 10 a.m. podcast. I mean, still 10 a.m. It's yeah. I'm, I'm old. That's that's pretty early. So we'll, we'll, we'll rock and roll. Still. All right. It's Sunday, 1030 um, in the morning, coming off of the Paul win yesterday. Good week for us. Uh, let's dive into the Creighton game first. So we played Creighton on Wednesday night at the Finneran Pavilion. Coming into that game, we both felt like this is a good revenge game. The turnaround was quick. We're playing a lot better coming off of wins against Xavier and Seton Hall. Had some time to get our legs back under us. Um, a couple practices throughout the holiday break, yada, 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 et cetera. It felt like a good game to get right. And boy, get right. Did we, <laughs> did we, because is it was, get it right. Was, did we, oh, get right. We did. Is oh my God. Oh my God. Um, uh, so I can yell your dog. Get right. We did. Did we? <laughs> uh, anyway, that was, good impression. that was probably your best impression of the entire podcast ever. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that one. Um, but, but it was a great game. Obviously we blew them out. 34 point victory. A couple people on Twitter were asking, is that the biggest turnaround from losing by 20 and winning by 34 ever in the Villanova program? Uh-uh. <laughs> that, that title belongs to the 2016 team versus Oklahoma. Uh, but nevertheless, a 54 point turnaround was quite um, quite intense. That was, yes. that was, yeah, it was, it was very, it was a much differently played game. We brought heavy intensity throughout the entirety of the game. We bodied them down low to get a lot of rebounds. Again, rebounding was the name of that game. We totally silenced Cockbrenner, who did a number of a uh, number on us um, in the first game between us and Creighton. And Some then, would say we blocked his cock. 
blocked the cock. <laughs> we blocked the cock. Oh man. Oh so good. god, that's really good. That's really good, Rob. Oh man, you're 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 two for two. That's rare. It's it rare. is. It is. It's even rare, a blind yeah. even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. So <laughs> literally found two so, today. So win win by thirty four. Defense looked obviously fantastic, holding Creighton to forty one points, who's one of the best offenses in the Big East. Um, and, and we just did a number. It was a thorough, thorough beatdown. Vengeance was exacted and, uh, and we, and we, and we avenged one of our only losses of the season. So it, it was big. I, and we were led by Jordan Longino who contributed 20 points and 13 rebounds, <laughs> which was awesome to see as we've been talking about, oh, man. but, but no, he, he did it. He did play 20 minutes and I loved seeing it. Longino clearly in the rotation, which we will get to, but boom, that was exciting to see the babies coming along. I actually think we can go right into the rotation. Let's I think do that, it. I think that was a good story of this game. So Colin gets into foul trouble early, is forced to sit, only plays 24 minutes, a number of which happened in the second half. Um, but because we kind of led, Jay was allowed to kind of play the guys and play a much deeper bench going into that game. We knew that Caleb Daniels was still going to be out. Jay had said, Antoine is looking really good. He's looking as good as ever. He's definitely going to get a lot of burn. Antoine winds up with 26 minutes eclipsing Gillespie. The only player who played more than 30 minutes in this game was Justin Moore, which is like a total shift. Like, yeah. if I would have told you a month ago that only one player would eclipse 30 minutes in a particular game versus the team that we previously lost to, you'd be like, no fucking way. No way. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, so that was huge. You mentioned Longino. He got 20 minutes, um, added on two points, three rebounds, two steals. Um, that's kind of a little narrative for Longino is his yeah. steel game is pretty good. Yeah, he um, is, he's definitely aggressive. At the very end of the game, we did see uh, Nana and Joku and Trey Patterson get in, but they were really garbage Throw, minutes. Throwaway minutes. Yeah. Blowout. So I'm, that's not really worth discussing. Um, Chris Archidiakono played only 18, so he did fall down to the eighth man um role in this game and i think that was good and i think jay actually does deploy him this week i think jay deployed yes. archie diakono really well yes um because chris arch is like and jay said this in one of his post-game interviews he's like chris is going to always factor into the rotation because he just understands what we do yeah and his his full and what he didn't say is his floor is really is really good yeah. relative to the team so he's not going to yeah. make a lot of mistakes committed by mental errors he's going to make mistakes committed by right. the fact that he's less physically gifted but he's not going to make a lot of mistakes he's going to play within himself he doesn't to his credit he doesn't take a lot of like shots so as, it's not like as stealing a, as shots a ninth as a ninth man yeah. on this team he's a really good ninth man to have yes 100 100 couldn't agree more that's really well said he was not a great sixth or seventh man no ab- absolutely <laughs> he was, yeah he's a much better eighth ninth guy yeah, like, am I, and, and that's, I feel like that's a, our listeners need to be careful there. Are we excited about Arch now? No, but relative to the position that he, in the role that he plays on the team, yes, I am way more excited about him in his role as a ninth man versus a sixth or seventh man and the relative importance that he plays on the overall team there. And but I yeah. also, yeah. I also want to address something there with, with the rotation. I mean, we obviously really complained a lot in prior weeks, both on Twitter and on our podcast about, the rotation and about how it doesn't seem like Villanova is going to offer anything new. Like what are we going to get from anybody, etc. And I still think that we were right in that criticism. What's happened is that Antoine's picked up his game and has been able to play quite a bit. Longino is now a factor in the game. That's allowed some of the other players to do some different things yeah. um, and be a little bit more explosive. All of a sudden more is a little bit more aggressive um, off the bounce and, and off plays Gillespie you can just see that he's no longer trying to like save his legs to wit to get um um to to help to hold himself throughout the game he is running to open spots it look he's looking like um like the like a baby warrior out there with like in, in terms of like from, from like the golden state warriors in terms of like okay, running okay. to get open and like finding open looks and like breaking down breaking down guys off the bounce, which is a kind of a relatively new feature to his game. So you can see that the, the increased energy 
of some of these guys is actually making an impact. And we play, we can play at a different speed. Now the ball is whipping around a little bit more. The offense looks a little bit more balanced. I have to say this looks really good. And the depth at the guard level is allowing Jay sometimes to put Samuels at the five spot, which is also giving Dixon a blow. And that is very helpful to the team at large. So I, I think that we are seeing a more explosive Villanova team in the last couple of games. And I would say that has a lot to do with the rotation changes. Yeah. The, the team have one feel thing and one stat thing from a feel perspective. I think you articulated it really well. The team just feels different watching them in the past two games with the rotation that we have than they did for the duration of the season. It's different looks, it's different players. And I really like the point you made on the guard play. It is clear, as it should be, we are very comfortable with the ball in Antoine's hands. He's being used to complement Gillespie or Justin bringing the ball up the floor. He's an easy outlet there, and it's helping direct the offense. So I think that has been a huge shift for us. You can feel it when you see it just from a casual perspective. And then from a numbers perspective, we had obviously been harping on it. It fits with us. We didn't actually look up the stats, but they mentioned the stats during the game yesterday during DePaul. We had been the 350th ranked team in terms of the amount of minutes that are bench played. 350th. There are 353 teams in all of Division One. So there were only three teams that were playing their bench less than we were. So you're going to feel that when you have as much of a shift because it has been a big shift over the past couple games, a little bit of foul trouble, a little bit of not, with Antoine Longino picking up those minutes, like this team is going to look different and it's going to ideally impact us in a positive way moving forward. So you see it in the stats now, you'll see it in how you watch the game and kind of what this offense does, but it's a big, big evolution and very excited that Jay was clearly listening to the podcast he got our insights. This is this is why we do the podcast to elevate the team to take it to the next level. So Jay, you're welcome. I'll uh, I'll take my my uh, final four ring when we get it. So there you the, go. <laughs> there the go. the other interesting thing about this week in general, before we get into the DePaul game, um, was that we took 45 threes between the two games this this week as opposed to the 53s that we took against Syracuse a few weeks back in total. So we've reduced our three-point reliance um, quite a bit as the ball is not really still not really going through the basket. Um, We did shoot 41% yesterday from deep. um, So that's, you know, that's definitely a a, a market improvement, but we beat the, we beat Creighton 75 to 41 by going eight of 23 from the three-point line. That is not, a, like a traditional vintage Villanova performance where we just blow teams out because of excellent three-point shooting. No, we missed open looks in that game and still held them. I mean, look, th- the story of that game was clearly the defensive effort. Creighton got out of sorts right away. Once we, once we really clamped down on defense, like they were just totally out of sorts. They had nothing. And then they started rushing shots, hoisting up like, you know, ugly jumpers early in the shot clock. And they got, and they had nothing. They were like in like bombs away mode with like 15 minutes left in that game. Very early. But I will say the three point, you're right. We didn't beat them in our regular three point uh, shooting effort. But as we mentioned last podcast, that's kind of been the narrative for the past 10 games or so for this Villanova team is that we're not right now, at least we're not an electric three point shooting team. So I'm glad we saw the shift. I think it's actually a good segue. If you do want to segue to DePaul, because what we saw yesterday with DePaul was a very clear game plan of trying to work it inside, trying to attack the hoop, trying to do something more than just shoot three pointers. And it obviously it worked. It, it led to a win, but I think you saw it in the Creighton game as well too. And it goes back to a point we had made several weeks back about the fact that we were a pretty one dimensional team. Again, maybe a result of the rotation that we're rolling out there that we can do some other things, but this clueless idea of let's work into the post, let's try some different looks is, is definitely paying off. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, and, and moreover, it also helps us get to the foul line a little bit more, mm. um, which has been very productive huge, for the Cats. Huge. We went 35 of 38 from the free throw line this week. 
So that's, that's pretty good. That's uh, that's that classifies in the really good category. Um, so that's so that's definitely a key takeaway from this week is getting to the free throw line because you force the issue inside. Yeah, opens up three point looks. Now all of a sudden you get some more open three point shots. Forty percent, forty one percent from deep against the Paul yesterday was pretty good, and we had guys like Caleb Daniels knocking down knocking down open looks. Um, so why don't we go into DePaul? Um, and I want to talk about this game because coming into this game, this was definitely a, a trap game. Uh, Chris Notaro on Villanova tip time was talking about how like every account in on the Villanova Twitter sphere has, uh, has called this a trap game. And it really did set up for a, a trap game feel. You're playing at an opponent who is kind of on the bottom of the big East, but kind of on the bottom of the big East. Um, in part because of the fact that Georgetown hasn't had a chance to play many games yet. And also in part um, because they had a tough schedule out the gate that Paul has. Uh, And, and they have some good players. I mean, we saw Javon Freeman Liberty um, play awesome in the first half yesterday, and he's been leading them. And DePaul has gotten some good wins in the non-conference, but definitely some of the air taken out of their sails in the, in the early part of this big East go. Um, The, the thing though is it set up well. We came off a big uh, emotional com- uh, a vengeance uh, game against against Creighton, uh, and then we are looking forward to what is right now on the on per Ken Palm the hardest game left on our schedule is Xavier. Uh, that'll change, but it's Xavier on Wednesday, so a big tilt in Cincinnati versus a ranked opponent. That is a huge game coming up. You could easily understand if the team was going to look past this DePaul game. Moreover, we also learned on Friday that it was possible that Justin Moore and Brandon Slater sat out yesterday because of injuries. I think uh, Moore had a hammy and um, and Slater had an ankle, uh, but Caleb was coming back, so that was a good it was a good good turn of events. But it turns out Moore and Slater both played. But in that first half, we looked really kind of sloppy, a little bit dead, dead legged. This looked not aggressive. It also turned into a ref show. And I'm going to just go ahead right now and give my pass the fucking ball award of the week, the PTFB, if you will, to the referees in the DePaul game who made that game yesterday borderline unwatchable. It, it wasn't borderline OJ. It was terrible. I yeah. I thought about turning it off. I was like, if I didn't have a podcast to do, I wouldn't want to watch this game. It was every, it was a foul. It seemed like every single possession. Yeah. There was zero flow to the game. Total rep show. And that's been a theme of late because we brought, I think I gave the refs the PTFB award last week um, versus Seton Hall. Guys, during COVID. No, and I'm going to say you did give it to the refs last week as well. Okay. That's- Nice. Note to word to the wise teams are banked up. Teams have injuries. Teams have COVID stop making it a ref show and putting multiple, multiple players in foul trouble. If a game isn't chippy and multiple players are in three, four foul trouble level deep and multiple players are fouling out of games, the refs have done a poor job. They have not read the room. They have done a poor job officiating the game. That is not how this should go. Like you should not have five players on Villanova yesterday who had three or four fouls. Like that's crazy. I have, a, I have a question. I have a hypothetical question. Do you think the refs talk about that at all prior to the game? Like, do they get together and they're like, eh, hey guys, like we know people are a little, little under the weather. Like let's try to try to hold the whistle a little bit. Do you think that happens? I, they should. They, I mean, they should. I they agree. absolutely should look at the situation and say, you know, we don't want to get too disruptive. If the game is chippy, by all means, blow the whistle a lot to get the game yeah. under control. That I, I that I expect the refs to do. If the game is like there's some pushing and shoving, it looks like there's a little bit of a little bit too much action going on with like the elbows and the push offs and whatever. That wasn't the case. Like it was a physical Big East game, uh, but it wasn't like this like. It wasn't like this game that needed the, the refs to control the atmosphere of the game. Like you were going to get a technical foul somewhere yeah. on lines or a flagrant somewhere along the lines because people were being overly chippy. No, it wasn't. It was a hard fought game that did not require all of the fouls that were called. And they were, you could tell on DePaul drives in particular, they were anticipating foul for foul um, fouls to be called. And the whistle just came out right away. Oh God, it was, 
there was a lot of people, there's a lot of bodies underneath the rim. So therefore it must've been a freaking foul if the ball didn't go through the hoop. It was crazy. And it just really disrupted the flow of the game. There was, I believe, almost 50 fouls um, called in that game yesterday, which is obscene. There was more fouls called, I believe, than field goals made. That is an abomination on the refs. So I just had to call that out. The refs were just a total joke yesterday. It was a total ref show. And it just, it just makes the game really hard to watch and really hard to establish a flow. That being said, in a way, even though I felt like we got the worst end of the whistle yesterday, I also feel like it's a, it helped us because we're the veteran team and we're the, we knew how to keep our composure and kind of do what we do, as, we, as the guys like to say, in that game. Um, and so we did that and we were able to keep our composure. Second half, we got right off to a good start. And then we didn't really look back after getting off to that good start in the second half. So, so first half looked like a trap game could come to fruition. Second half, we obviously just dominated, went on a yeah. big run. Which, which, one which by fifteen, all, it was a twenty point. A lot win. when you're you're playing like a worse team, right? Like yeah. it just takes oftentimes takes a half or takes a half and a little bit for things to kind of right themselves. So like, should we be alarmist about it? Nah, probably not. No, no. And we get out of we get out of another away game with a W, which is which is good. Um, yeah. So we've now got two away wins on the season. We've only played one home game. Um, and we got Xavier coming right. up away. So it's wild. Yeah. So it is wild. We, we continue to play a ton of away games, but after the Xavier game, and we'll get into that in a little bit after the Xavier game, we do have a very manageable stretch. So once we get past this, we have four games that we should win all of them. Um, and so, and so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that um, as we go along throughout the rest of the, uh, the January portion of the season. So all that being said, pass the fucking ball, the war of the week, the refs, Rob, I don't know if you have a different uh, nominee. Um, you know, I, I guess that's that's probably good. I'm trying to think if there's anybody on the team who really deserves it. Probably uh-huh. not. Probably not too much. Slater was, you know, a little bit of a, a disappointment yesterday. Only two points. He was pretty quiet. Um, that's something we talked a, a bit about last week as well. So I, w- I do want to see him bounce back. I don't know that it's enough to warrant that necessarily. Um, so I guess, I guess we can give it to the refs. I don't like giving it to the refs though. I got to say, I think it's a little bit of a cop out. We've got to be more critical of these Villanova Wildcats. Our criticism has elevated their performance clearly. So we need to get back on. (laughs) I I will say uh, Slater's not right because he did have a good game against Creighton. He had 10 points and four boards against Creighton. On like, um, near perfect shooting, seventy-five percent. Yeah, but, but he's like an he's like an X factor. It's three or four. Um, but that that's like that's like X factor territory, right? And like for Slater, I think to live up to the billing, he's got to be more than an X factor of hey, great one game, nothing the next game. That's not what we talked about at the beginning of the season. I will say, look, if it ends up that he doesn't need to play this big role for the team that's fine. And somebody else steps into it. Maybe it's Brian Antoine who continues to step into it, but he's, he's still just not there. He's still getting a lot of, a lot of announcer love and a lot of announcer hype as well too, which I actually, I don't think is all that warranted right now. Um, So anyway, I I I won't necessarily give it to him, but whatever. Uh, Yeah. No, I don't think he deserves the PTFB. He didn't make like a ton of mistakes. He doesn't, he didn't create, he didn't create bad situations for us. Right. 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 Um, and it's hard in a two point in a, in a two win week when we um, won the games by a collective 49 points, it's hard to give a PTFB yeah. award to one of our guys or Jay because he got the rotation going. So, yeah, uh, so that's so that's that. Uh, in terms of the alpha dog of the week, I don't know if we've given one to jo- I, Brian will have to check this, but I, mine is Justin Moore. I mean, he was unstoppable in the Creighton game. And like, I think I tweeted at one point in time, I was like, Hey, if I was Greg McDermott, I would simply tell my team to, uh, to guard Justin. Moore. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he was just getting whatever he wanted, especially early. I think it was early in the second half, whatever he wanted, he was getting, um, he was making threes, um, a couple threes. He was, he, but he was shooting the ball really well. Um, just getting anywhere he wanted, uh, just, just doing everything he wanted with the ball. 22 points against Creighton. He added another 21 against uh against DePaul Gillespie was the leading scorer yesterday Gillespie had a great game uh yesterday but Moore was right there with him and uh yeah 21 seven boards three assists 
two turnovers. It's a good, it's a, it's a really good outing by, uh, by Justin Warner. Excellent week. So hats off to Justin. He's my alpha dog of the week. Yeah, I'll give it to him. I'll give it to him as well. I think uh, Greg McDermott should have pulled a, a mighty ducks move and, and just sent somebody out there to like slash him or something like kind of break his wrist and send him Adam banks to the, to the bench, if you will. Um, it, what was interesting, Justin took 20 shots against Creighton. So obviously not the most efficient 22 point performance, but we clearly didn't need the most efficient 22 point performance. One of the things I found to be absolutely shocking was in the DePaul game, one of the announcers mentioned that Jay has called for Justin to be more aggressive, as we had as well, too. So, again, Jay clearly listening to the podcast, which is great <laughs> to see. But, but, again, if at the beginning of the year you would have said, Jay needs to sit down and tell Justin to shoot more, I would have – there's zero chance I would have taken that bet. We, we <laughs> talked to CJ Holmes about that, about how his article was borderline ridiculous. Like, yeah, Justin's aggressive. Like, you no know, kidding. Like that, that's what he is. That was the player he came in as. So interesting to see kind of the ebbs and flows there. Like to see the aggression coming back, like to see him being a smarter takeover guy, if you will. And I think it definitely bodes well. He was also, you know, he was trying to work it inside, work it down low as well uh, this past game against DePaul. So Hats off to Justin Moore. He was even more, he was far more efficient against DePaul, who's five of 10 um, with his 21 points and eight of nine from the free throw line. Just so, so good. Adding seven rebounds against them, too. So I think he's got to get it. Colin obviously has a terrific game, but Justin, hat tip for you. Frontward facing hat tip. So both you and Rob selected Justin on episode four this year. Oh, okay. You have All another right. unanimous one. Okay. Okay. All right. Good to know. Thank you for the, uh, thank you for the clarification, Brian. Um, I also want to call out his defense. Justin Moore has played excellent defense of late and that's been also a difference maker. We, we keep talking about how the defenses look better, but we haven't, but we haven't actually aligned that to the players who are making it look better. And Justin Moore has been one of those guys. I also think that's a big reason why Slater is not getting the PTFB award by Samuels for me has not been getting the PTFB award. It's a defensive effort and intensity has stepped up dramatically and it really centers around more Samuels and Slater um, doing, doing excellent work defensively. I also want to credit Antoine who, although sometimes commits silly fouls um, they're fouls of aggression and I can deal with that a little bit more. Um, And Longino is adding the steals, which we talked about a little bit earlier in the pod. So just to assign some of the defensive uh, benefits to it. I'll also add that Colin um, in the, in the preseason, we talked about Colin as like, you know, is he good enough at staying in front of guys, et cetera. I've seen a, a lot of improvement from Colin on the defensive end this year. And I actually think that that's leading to the reason why our defensive prowess has increased dramatically. We are now top 25 in terms of defensive teams in the country and that has a lot to do with Colin. We talked about coming into the season, how we were like number 60 and, and how that's not going to get it done, that you need to be in that top 20, 30 of teams defensive efficiency. Um, and I think that's a credit to all the players, but I, but I think Colin is the one who I was like most uncertain about given his role on the team. So he's going to be on the court a lot yeah. and he makes himself an easy target to get attacked. He hasn't been that guy this year. He seems to be a, a little bit more fleet footed um, and is doing a great job in his role. Yeah. No, it's um, the defenses definitely seem to come a long way. I like, I like what you mentioned about Antoine. I like what you mentioned about Longino. The gamble a little bit. Longino, I think you, you can see him act like how much he's actively learning and improving on the defensive end game by game, which is should be no surprise, right? We've talked about this with other players. I remember us talking about this with Javon Quinterly a couple of years back. Like getting game run is different than getting practice run. So as you see Longino start to get on the court more, you're going to see him make better decisions. He's already clearly, he learned his lesson from a few games ago where he picked up four fouls in like six minutes or whatever it was, some crazy stat like that. He's going to continue to gamble. I think that's like, frankly, part of his role. Like he seems to be pretty quick, pretty athletic. And yeah, like if he picks up a couple quick fouls, it's, it's not that big of a deal, right? Like we want him on the court but he's not as integral part of an offense. So he can take some of those chances, which is nice. Um, so I'm liking that. I'm liking how quick Brian Antoine is. He's still a little too quick, I think, for his own good. But, yeah, he is uh, a little too quick for his own good. I agree. He'll it, it, it'll, it'll get used to that too. I will. Uh, one, one quick note too. Um, 
Brian Antoine, for whatever reason, his name's quite easy to pronounce, right? Brian Antoine, straightforward. On multiple games now, the announcers have been like, Brian Antone, Antoine. And I'm like, Antone. Yeah. What? This, I do have to really I do straightforward. Have to, I, I do have to call out our buddy, and he's he's a good good friend of the podcast, and I believe everyone should watch his show, Chris Nataro and Villanova Tip Time, who calls him Brian Anton, which is just funny. Guys, it's, it's Antoine. It's, it's Brian. It's not hard. Antoine. It's not hard. It's, not hard. <laughs> it's really not. Uh, it's, it's been the same throughout his, his his long journey in Villanova too. So come on, come on now. Oh, oh. man. It's, it's good. It's really, it's really bad. It's really bad. The, it's, not, it's not even Archie Diacono. Come on. Yeah, I know. I know. The thing All is, right. Archie Diacono, you've had like eight years to pronounce Archie Diacono. So I know. I know. I know. Um, I, real quick, I do. We have to. You have to uh, give the uh, Shaq Fit Shaq Fit Man Play of the Week. A couple candidates. A couple candidates for me. I'm going again with Caleb Daniels <clears throat> throwing it down um, in the second half in a key moment. It was the one moment of the second half where they started to chip away, mostly at the foul line, at what had really ballooned up to an eight to 10 point lead for a good chunk of the second half. Um, and it got down to like five or six. Yeah. And, and Caleb caught a great screen from Dixon, I believe. He kind of sealed, uh, he kind of sealed, sealed yes. the guy out. And, and Caleb drove it right to the rack, jumped up two hand flush, just absolutely crushed the dunk. And it kind of like gave the team a little extra boost. And then from there, we never really looked back. That was, yeah. that was like it. That was, that was not the, it wasn't like a dagger, so to speak, but it was a momentum dagger. It was, mm-hmm. it was a, yeah. it was a key pivotal moment. It stopped the tide that they were starting to get a little bit of momentum and we got the game back in control with that. And then again, as I said, we never looked back after that. Yeah. I think the other nominee that you have to consider is Eric Dixon yep. also against DePaul. I, I really love this play and I'm hoping we've seen a couple things that show you flashes. I think of what Eric Dixon can do the selective three point shooting. He's clearly a capable three point shooter, but doesn't do it often. And selectively he's made a few of these quick steps to the hoop because he's not, he's not a slow guy by any means. And he has a decent handle. So he made it quick. He took advantage of the open lane and just threw down a nice one-handed like power back boom, like little tomahawk action. Real nice. Just love to see it. I think it just gets you more excited about Eric Dixon. Ultimately, it does not get my Shaq Fit Man Play of the Week. I think Caleb does get the nod as you outlined. But I think it's important because those two key components of Eric Dixon's game are two things that if I'm Jay and I'm Shaq, over the summer, I say to Dixon, look, we're going to slim you down a little bit more. And there are two things you need to do. Keep working on that handle and just get ready to let the ball fly from three. Because next year, I want to see Eric Dixon as Omari Spellman light. Light so, physically and light skill-wise. It's but that's very my goal. funny that you bring up Omari Spellman. I actually looked at this yesterday. I, st- I wanted to do like a little Twitter analysis. And yeah. I was starting to, starting to pull down some of the data um, from the games. Unfortunately, I looked at the first 14 games of the season from Dixon this yeah. year and from Omari a few years back. Yeah. Omari had like a 27 point explosion early in that season. Yeah. Um, but he also, if you remember, took a little bit of time to come along yeah. Um, yeah. in that season. Then he got really, really top end good. Yeah. Um, but I looked at him and I was like, is Dixon like playing like Omari right now? It's not. Dixon's averaging about eight and six. Yeah. Omari had 10 and eight for the whole season. Yeah. Um, but that 27 point explosion early in the season was like, was like critical. Um, and it really outweighed his averages. You take that out. They're yeah. actually not that far off. Interesting. But I didn't feel like doing all the. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. I was like, I could do this, but that, I don't want to. <laughs> I, I, that, that, that's perfect. I, I I had a good idea, but I didn't fully execute on it. Yeah, I had no, I had no interest in fully executing on it. But um, you, you, ask, it does ask the question. I think Dixon sometimes looks to pass and handoff from deep a little too much. Too much. He gets open sometimes, and I'd like to see him tee it up. I do. Um, I do he too. can he can shoot the three. He's got a good stroke. If he misses, he misses. I mean, it's not a bad yeah. possession if Eric Dixon shoots an open shot. That's not yeah. a bad. That's not a bad result. Not so. I do think on the offensive end, I think everyone talks about, oh, look, Villanova, there's the extra pass. I think sometimes they extra pass too much. Absolutely. I think, I think they sometimes go good, better, best, 
and then back to like good. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah, I think okay. I think they need to get down to like, okay, this is actually a great shot. Take it. Like yeah. this this team is good enough shooting the ball, even if they haven't shown it yet. This is good enough shooting the ball. They have a, a good shooting team um, mechanically that they can they they can hit open looks. And I'd like to see Eric Dixon take that because as you said, if that results in someone checking him out further out on the three-point line, yep. um, that's an opportunity to uh to run a play uh to drive the lane yeah to, to get to the cup uh and then you know if, if they play way out on him all of a sudden boom you set a screen he rolls to the basket he's got an easy flush it's yeah. like it's it's good and i really think that he should be expanding that three-point shooting part of his game i really like that on him so yeah, one one quick note on that and then we can move on but i think part of it is exactly what you articulated in that i think his mindset is first to pass the ball so i don't think he's always ready to shoot mentally. And so unless he has a really, really wide open shot, he's kind of thinking pass already, which I think slows down the momentum, allows somebody, allows the defender to close out a little bit, which I think then just makes him even less comfortable with it. So yeah. agree with everything. Shoot more Dixon. We want to see it. It'll open it up. Omari Spellman 2.0 coming at you next year. But bottom line though, we asked in the beginning of the season, is Eric Dixon going to be more akin to uh, will bump Sheridan on the 2016, or is it going to be more akin to uh, Omari Spellman on the 2018 team? Oh. And and he is closer right now to the Omari Spellman Number level two. than he Number is two. than he is to the Will Sheridan level. And that's not to shit on Will Sheridan at all. He played an yeah, excellent role yeah, in that yeah. team, but but that is he's trending that direction. So I, I like you got to give your tip your cap to them. And then Daniels coming off the COVID pause. He was awesome uh, yesterday, and I think that that's going to continue to be the case. Yeah. All right. Let's move it along. Let's move it along. We did a lot of game and week recap. Um, the I think we need to talk a little bit about the Big East in general. Uh, we're we're now a few games into the conference schedule. We're starting to see uh, Big East, more like the Big Least. Am I right? Hey, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I just had to. I God, had to try it. Mo- momentum. You know, it's it's one of the, it's one of those things where it's like. You know, you tell a good shooter if he's shooting seven for eight, you never want to finish a game seven for eight, right? You want to finish the game like, I don't know, seven for, I don't know, 14 or something like that. So I was, I was two for two. So I took another shot. And now I'm two for three. <laughs> yeah, it was a heat check and it was horrible. It was really, really. Heat um, anyway. So you're starting to see the conference take shape. Most teams have a few games or a few games into their schedule. A couple teams are exceptions. You have uh, St. John's and Georgetown who are exceptions to that. Both only are one or two games in a piece. Uh, but most of the other teams are three, four, five games in. Um, we're five games in, four and one. We're tied with Providence atop the top of the Big East leaderboard so far. They're always looking well there. You're starting to see the cream rise to the top um, in terms of four of the Big East's um, ranked teams are in the top five of the conference. The other one who you'd expect to get up there is UConn, um, but who's off to a slow start because they also had a COVID pause. I want to talk about a few of these teams. And just look around, look around the biggest. First, I'm going to talk about Georgetown. He came back <laughs> off a long COVID pause. Oh, God. To get absolutely obliterated at home versus Marquette. Absolutely <laughs> annihilated to the point where John, uh, to the point where Patrick Ewing said after the game, he said, John Thompson would be rolling over in his grave right now. That was a quote. He said, he said, he's so, he's got to be so mad up there. Georgetown sucks okay they are so bad um and it's 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 truly an abomination it's disgraceful it's terrible i cannot make sense of it ewing in my mind actually seems to be a decent enough coach but i do have a theory on ewing um, that i didn't have before i think mullen i'm going to compare ewing and mullen um i think mullen when he coached st john's didn't give a shit no i think absolutely did not i think ewing gives too much of a shit like mm. if that's possible, I think Ewing is used to growing up in the old Big East mm. under John Thompson, NBA professional pedigree, etc. This guy knows how to coach. He knows he knows how to run plays. He's he's a smart. He's a he's a student of the game. He understands the game, etc. What he struggles with, I bet, is that his expectations are probably sky high, and mm. you have guys with this with this kind of era of player. With their expectations, with their with their, um, you could say a little coddled, whatever it may be, whatever you want to frame that, uh, he is 
overdoing it with these guys and they're leaving the program in droves. So every year he's starting from scratch. This is a team that won the biggest tournament last year and looked good doing it. And they lost like two or three of those guys. Now some to graduation, but Kudus Wahab is now on Maryland. Um, <laughs> just fired their coach uh, and, and transferred at the end of that season after he was a featured guy, one of the featured guys on that team. Yeah. So, so it's not just minutes. This is like, this is like, there is an issue with the program. You've seen it time and time again, guys leaving the programs, Mac McClung left the program, etc. So he's restarting every single year and unable to get the, um, unable to get it off the ground. And so I, I just don't think that this is going to work out. I think, I think Ewing no, is, is going to fail. Um, and has it's, failed and he's going to continue to fail and get, and get canned. Yeah. And I feel like our listeners are probably saying, well, you know, th- does it matter? You know, you know, going years back, right. Like the thesis that Georgetown had to be great for the new Big East to survive. Does it matter? Absolutely not. Big East no. is on solid footing. Look, I'd love to see a competitive Georgetown just because it's more fun and it makes the league better. Do we need them to be successful? Nope. Not at all. No, we really don't. I asked that question on Twitter and you know, I think, in any good conference, you need a couple of things. You need two perennial power, like national level powerhouses. Like I'm just going to liken to the ACC. You got Duke and North Carolina, right? Like that's 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 easy. Um, you need two perennial powerhouses in your conference to be like, okay, these teams on any given year, you'd expect these teams, these two teams, to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Villanova is that team. We haven't found that second team for a second. It looked like Xavier before Chris Mack left. UConn is my bet just based on program history. Um, and I really think Dan Hurley is a good coach. I think UConn is probably the next best likely candidate to be that level. Then you need like a, then you need like a next level down of, of like three or four teams. And this is an 11 team conference, three or four teams that can make the tournament most years or a lot of years. And occasionally they break through the sweet 16, maybe a final four run. This is what I'd call the Villanova of the 2000s level um, type team of that conference. You need a team that's going to like constantly be tournament con- uh, contender, have opportunities to break through to the Sweet 16 with some frequency, but just always going to be there and always going to find their way into like, you know, that five, six, seven seed line yeah. of the NCAAs. We already have that. Seton Hall is there already. Providence has been there already. Um, and then there's been a little bit of a revolving door, but Creighton of, uh, you know, throughout the course of being in the big East has pretty much been that team. Those three teams have made up that second tier that has been really positive for the conference. And then you need like the, and Xavier, I'll add Xavier to that mix. Um, and then you need like a couple of programs who can win some games, maybe make a tournament occasionally. Um, you get the Marquettes of the world, the St. John's of the world. Whatever. And then you need, you need dregs. You need bad teams. In your yeah, league. You it's going to happen. You need just to, just from a competitive balance standpoint. Totally. Georgetown and DePaul are fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Like it, I, I thought Georgetown needed to be good because DC market, etc. Guess what? Right. None of their fans show up to games. No one gives a shit about that program Nobody anymore. Cares. It's been left for dead. And 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 no one cares. So yeah. guess we what? The biggest is fine without him. And the biggest is able to establish that second perennial powerhouse who I thought was going to be Georgetown coming coming into the conference. Yeah. Then, then, then good. If we got there, we got it anyway. We don't need Georgetown. We don't need Georgetown. So totally. that's it. All right. Enough on Georgetown because they suck. Let's move on. Who you got next? Um, I do want to talk about St. John's. Um, so they're off to a one-on-one start. They beat the poll in what was a very good game. Um, the preview met the, the um, really started with some exciting teams here. Georgetown. Yeah, well, I want to get, I want to get the bad stuff out of the way first, but St. John's is a team that expected to make the tournament. Um, at the beginning of this season, they would have, they said, we're going to, that, that was kind of the, the vibe that you got from there. Um, they returned Champagny, um, who did have an excellent game against the Paul. I think he had more than 30 points against the Paul, um, at home coming off his COVID, uh, his COVID pause. Um, and they did a good job against, uh, and Posh Alexander came back too. They did a good job against, um, against Providence in the first half. But the game got kind of the game got kind of choppy, and Providence was able to kind of get them under their tempo control, and then Providence kind of ran away with that game at the end uh, yesterday. All I want to say about St. John's is they're still a team that you kind of want to watch out for. We're not getting out on their schedule just yet, 
But I just want to pay attention to St. John's because St. John's is like that team that's like seventh or eighth level of the Big East. And they're the type of team who you want to see if they're able to turn it on and kind of become into like the fourth, fifth team of the Big East and end up getting into the tournament um, as a result of that. Big East is strong, has had a very good out-of-conference schedule. You're going to almost automatically, by default, get six teams in this year. St. John's is, I just want to point out, I just just want to call that out, that I think you need to see St. John's um, turn it on. I think they might turn it on, uh, but they have, a, they have a lot of work to do. So let's just see. I just want to call them out as the team that, to, um, that just kind of got their season back started after a COVID pause. I just wanted to call that out. Yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about some better teams. Yeah, some better teams. So let's talk about UConn and Hall played an absolutely electric. Oh game my gosh, in so good yesterday. Way better, like way better game than we did. I was like, I was like, did not want to watch our game at the beginning of our game because I wanted to watch the conclusion of the UConn. Oh, I uh, didn't. Nicole was like, Nicole, Nicole eventually looked up and saw that they. The, cry on term i don't even know whatever it was like hey turn back to fs1 to watch villanova versus seton or villanova versus DePaul. Like, why don't we have it on i was like because this is an overtime game against like two fun teams who played a great game like let's leave it on yeah and so we left it on so seton hall gets the better of uconn um in newark yesterday uh by a score i believe 90 to 87 in overtime yeah. excellent game really high level competition very exciting game they, they uh, both teams played their hearts out. UConn's one and two, um, but that one and two in the conference is a little bit of a misnomer for a couple of reasons. One, this was the first loss UConn has had this season at full strength. So they've had a lot of injuries. They've had some COVID. They've had a COVID pause. They've struggled to get guys back into, um, you know, get back, get guys back going. Uh, so they've, so they've had a little bit of a challenge, but UConn is 22 in Kempom and has a net ranking of 15. This is a good team. This is a good team that is going to very quickly rise to the top of the Big East. Once they get their sea legs under them and they get out of the stretch of the season, it was very funny, though, listening to Dan Hurley, uh, his press conference yesterday. He was like, we just got to win games. We were really good, but we got to win games. It's kind of like, uh... Yeah, it's kind of the point of basketball. Yeah, yeah. like to, to to be good, yes, you you need a track record, or to say you're good, you need a track record of winning, which they don't have. It's it's kind of the same issue that we had a little bit earlier. You know, yeah. now we're, we're developing a little bit more of a tracker there, but but yeah, I agree. And I will say the point you made, while valid, that yes, they've had players out because of COVID, they've had injuries. At some point, that just becomes who you are and yes. becomes your team, right? So either they get those players back and the team transforms and takes it to the next level, or they get worked back, or maybe they don't get worked back and the team just doesn't come together. So I do think they're at a little bit of an inflection point. We are getting to the point, we're not running out of games, but it's kind of a put up or shut up moment in my mind at this point. Yes, I will call out a little bit of their schedule coming up. They have an opportunity to get a little bit right. So they got St. John's at home this this upcoming week so that's a, that's a good game but I, I would expect UConn to get right in that game then they play at Providence who already beat them so that's 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 their toughest game on their slate for a, a little bit of time then because of the COVID pauses they play two games on within three days against Butler um, which is going to be helpful to them because Butler's bad and we'll get into that a little bit later yeah. Butler's not good um, so that'll help them then they play Georgetown then they play DePaul and then they play home versus Creighton those games are that's five games in a row that they should win. They should have a reasonable expectation to win all five of those games. They get those games, those, those wins numerically under their belt. And now you're looking at a team that's kind of like 15 and five, 16 and five, something in that range. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, UConn's fine. They've probably at that point risen to the top five teams in the big East and they're going to be okay. Uh, but I just wanted to call it out. Their schedule does yeah. break for them a little bit as you get kind of to the back end of January before they yeah. come visit us. Um, all right. So that's UConn. I want to talk about the other side, the winning side of that game yesterday, yeah. Seton Hall, um, who we beat um, a couple, uh, you know, last week now. Uh, Seton Hall, they look good. They got their players back um, from, from, their, uh, from their COVID pause and injuries. They look good. They look good against UConn yesterday. UConn gave them everything that they had. Absolutely. And Hall held, uh, you know, held serve at home. Uh, Seton Hall has now uh, gotten up to 
sorry, uh, they got up to, I lost my spot here. I think Kempom, if you're looking for the 26, I think yeah. it was. Uh, they got up to two and two in the conference um, and they've, and they've, and they're now top five in the, in the big East. So they're, they're, they're going to keep winning those games. They're going to be fine. Uh, they have, uh, yeah. And you said the Ken Palm numbers, you said that they were, um, yeah, 26 and 25. So they're, they're very much quad one uh, type level team. I think that you're going to see Seton Hall win themselves into a top two or three in the big East conference. And with their out of conference play it is looking a little bit weaker now because Michigan is not good. Yeah. Texas has fallen back quite a bit. Yeah. Just, Texas just lost again yesterday. Lost again. Yeah. Um, I do think that you're going to see Seton Hall's numbers deflate a little bit, but they, I think they're legit. I think they're going to win a lot more games in the big East. And I think they're going to end up in a top four or five seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So, and I, I will say just to build on that, like there's been a lot of move outs aside from like the top five or so teams in the country. There's been a lot of movement in that like five to 25 range. So what you just outlined is very feasible for them to work their way back into that top four line. Really, I don't want to say without too much trouble, but just given how kind of up and down a lot of these teams are, it seems totally reasonable in my mind. Absolutely. I think I think you look at any top 25 team now, um, and you I'll add a couple on to the back of that, like UConn and stuff like that. You had yeah. any of those teams right now, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest to see any of those teams end up with a two seed in the NCAA tournament. Like there's that much wiggle room in that top, in that, in that yeah. 20, 25 game span, uh, team span uh, between five and 30. Yeah. I mean, just yesterday we saw teams number five, 10, 16, 17, 18, and I think 20 all lose like just all over the place. So anyway, yeah. enough, we get the point. All right. Final team I want to hit on is Providence. They sit interesting. They interesting. sit. Yeah. They sit with us at four and one in the big East so far, and they have looked uh, very, very good. And it's interesting because I think a lot was made of Seton Hall's non-conference schedule. It's actually Providence's non-conference schedule that is looking to be even better and better as time goes on. What do I mean by that? They beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin. Wisconsin just beat Purdue at Purdue. Um, they have, uh, they also beat Texas tech at home. Texas tech just beat Kansas yesterday. So, so like Providence's non-conference schedule is starting to earn them some really good numbers. They're Ken Palm 50, but their net is 33. They did play a lot of weak teams. Um, so like they had a couple of high level games, but they played a lot of weak teams. They, um, and they did lose pretty badly to Virginia, um, which was their worst uh, loss of the season. And, and they also got blown uh, out by Marquette. I, I was going to say, they got blown until out by this, week. this week. Until they this week. They lost by 32 to Marquette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got Ooh. absolutely stomped by Marquette. This is, I, but I write that off as like a team that was feeling themselves a little too much. Walked into a, a, a buzzsaw. What is interesting, though, is Providence seems to struggle with a high-octane defense. Um, so Virginia I, I, still plays that pack line. Um, Marquette plays havoc. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't note. I wouldn't read into it too much. I just looked at their schedule. They were coming off eight wins in a row. So right. just like, like pure pure chance. Like yeah. you're just going to have one of those games. Like you yeah. got it together eight times in a row. The ninth one, you're going to lose it. It just it just happens. But Providence's schedule is going to give them some opportunities and some threats um, coming up. So Providence plays this week. What about their strengths and weaknesses, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Not doing a full SWOT, do analysis. A SWOT analysis on Providence. <laughs> They're playing at Creighton, which we've seen is a challenging environment. Um, they play versus UConn, who UConn's going to be looking for revenge, but they do get them at the dunk. Um, they play at Seton Hall, uh, who they beat early in the season, who will be also looking for revenge. And then they have Georgetown and Butler as an opportunities. Uh, and then to round out the, um, the January portion of their season, they play at Sinta Center and Xavier, so that's tough. And then they play home versus Marquette, who beat them, who I, I expect Providence to get to, to flip the script on that game totally. So I, I will say that's a, that's a, it's a decent gauntlet in January for Providence. If Providence yeah. can come out of that, um, let's just say, I don't know, like six and two. I, I think I listed eight games. If they come out of that six and two or whatever, like that, then they're, gonna, they're definitely going to be a factor in top three in the league. 
if they come out of it four and four, which is you wouldn't blame them for, they're still going to be high level and they're still going to make the NCAA tournament, but it's, it's, it's definitely okay. They're going to be brought back down to earth, so to speak. So yeah, Providence is January is their hardest portion of the season. Yeah. I'm still a little bit, I've continued to harp on this. I'm still a little bit skeptical of Providence and that's really just due to the Ed Cooley track record. I just haven't seen them really be at a top, top level for a long time. I'm trying to think like, the most consistent top performing team they had was a number of years ago, probably it was 14, 15 with Chris Dunn and um, Ben Bentel, I want to say. And then obviously didn't do anything in the tournament with that team, but I, I'm still just a little bit on the fence. Can Ed put it together and get them performing throughout the whole season? I I'm with you. I like their track record to date, but I just want, I want to see a little bit more over the next few games. So we'll see how, we'll see how it plays out. All right, should we talk about what we got coming up? Yeah, we, let's talk about what we got coming up. I just wanted to swing around some of those teams in the Big East, just totally. keep an eye on what's going on. Um, so we have Xavier. This is a tilt. This is a big-time tilt on on uh, on Wednesday evening. Uh, so Xavier is, per Ken Palm, as I said this earlier in the, in the podcast, the toughest game left on our schedule. We have, we're supposed to win every game per Ken Palm um, actually left on our schedule, but Ken Palm only gives us a 53% chance of winning um, in this game against Xavier. The only other team, the only other game that we have a 53% chance of winning or lower uh, or better is, uh, is Connecticut at UConn. So, so this is, this is a critical game here. And, and this is like, this is like, I said, I wanted to save the national uh, analysis for next week, purely because this Xavier game is going to be a determining factor as to whether we can say to ourselves a week from now, you know what? Villanova is looking like a two, three seed or Villanova still has some work to do to get back to that highly coveted two, two type three line um, that can really contend for a a final four appearance. So that is that this Xavier game kind of can turn that narrative on a dime. You just don't want to get blown out in this game. It's totally understandable if you lose, uh, but Xavier is the net, the best team on Ken Palm um, uh, in the big East, other than us, they're number 20 in Ken Palm. Um, they've had a good start to their season. They did come off a of COVID pause. We took care of business against them at the pavilion. They're going to be looking for revenge. The Sintan center is a crazy place to play. I look at this game and I'm like, you know, this is, this is one, this is a big one uh, right here and smack in the middle of this week. What do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah it's definitely going to be a tough one. I was looking back at our um, at our schedule, or no, sorry, not our schedule, our predictions that we did with State of Nomination Pod a few weeks back, and both you and I at that point had predicted a loss to Xavier. For me, I think I'm still going to go with um, a loss at Xavier as my prediction, unfortunately. And I think a little bit, a little bit of this just comes down to some of the momentum stuff that we talked about. You know, we've rattled off uh, four nice wins in a row. I do think it's hard to keep that momentum and keep that winning streak going for more than four games. Yes, I know we have definitely winning streaks that go longer than that, but that combined with the fact that we're playing at Cintas, it is, it is a tough place to play. And the fact that we did just play them a couple of weeks back, right? This goes back to the point that we made earlier in the season where we've got some weird kinks in the schedule where we play teams kind of almost like back-to-back. So we see them quite recently after we played them for the first time around. So I'm a little bit bummed that I'm going to call a loss here um, against Xavier, but um, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. I think our schedule after that ends up being pretty favorable, certainly as we look to Butler, but then as we look to a lot of the other teams coming up after that as well. I'd love to get, I'd love to get the win. Don't get me wrong. That'd be awesome. No, I, I thought you wanted to lose. You wanted to, <laughs> I mean, sometimes, right. sometimes this team just needs a, a good loss to, to tell them to right the ship. And, and clearly <laughs> we need more criticism as we've discussed too. Uh, I'm feeling a little team. bit of that momentum thing right now. Um, and I'm actually going to go with a win. Okay. All I, right, look revising the pick. I look at Xavier's schedule and they have a good strength of schedule, but a lot of that is built on whereas you look at Villanova is built on the high end opponents, like the really high end opponents, like top yeah. level stuff. Xavier has kind of feasted on like that, like 
second, third tier that'll like a lot of teams that will make the tournament, but like in that like eight, nine, 10, 11 yeah. seed range. Yeah. And they've won all those games or most of those games there. You look at their, you look at their schedule. They beat Ohio state. That was probably their best win of the season so far. Um, they beat Vatek, who is Ken Palm number 30, but they can, the ACC is just a mess. Yeah. I don't want to put a lot of stock in there. They lost to Iowa state. And Villanova. Who Iowa, State's, far, Iowa State's a, a good loss. Yeah, like, Iowa it's a good State's loss. A good, it's but, a good team. but point being, they lost their two best games on their schedule. Um, <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but but the two best games on their schedule are not Purdue, UCLA, and Baylor. So right. it's, you know, they've kind of feasted on the tier three. And I don't, I don't mean quad three. I mean like tier three, like teams that will make the NCAAs that aren't like expected to really go anywhere there are a lot of teams that are going to make the first weekend and that's it yeah. uh, that's kind of where i see xavier's sweet spot is this is a team that's going to make the tournament they're going to win a lot of games in the conference they're going to win the games that they should win they're probably going to lose most of the games that they should lose and so look we are slightly expected to win this game by ken Palm. i actually see this playing out as like a tightly contested game for most of it i think villanova breaks away and wins by like six or seven on free throws at the end of the game because we'll be holding like on to like a two or three point uh, lead with about a minute left to play. So that's how I kind of see this breaking out. And I see the free throws being a narrative on next week's podcast. But all of a sudden Ooh. we got our free throws right. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see this playing. I think Villanova is going to get this one. And then all of a sudden you're going to see everyone talk us up again. Like, oh, wow, Villanova's got Villanova's got some big wins now. They've come off a, a good stretch of the season. Now, all of a sudden, Villanova's got a stretch of games that are very manageable. They should win all of them. We're going to stretch it out to, I think we're going to end up um, kind of being like, you know, nine and two in this conference uh, before long, 10, maybe even 10 and one in this conference before long. And then boom, all of a sudden you're like, wow, okay, this is still Villanova's conference to lose and everyone else is to try and get, you know, catch up to them. That's how I think I see this going. I am very high on this team right now. I hope you're right. All right. That's Xavier. We're not going to go into the individual players because we already played them. Um, yeah, let's yeah. talk about Butler, um, who we play uh, this weekend. So Butler is just not good. They're not good. Hot, <laughs> not hot, good. hot or not, they're not hot. They're not good. And the benefit is that we don't have to play this game in fucking Finkle, Finkle Fieldhouse. So, um, so look, we get this game at home and – Look, here, here, here are some of the guys you got to know. You got to know Bryce Golden. Um, you got to know Jaden Taylor, Chuck Harris. Uh, and you got to know Bryce Enzi. Like, these are all guys who have, uh, who are key to their rotation and their lineup. I, so, I like – So, for their this, five this starters, is, this, Chris, insight we're bringing you. Yeah. But, like, it's just not like they just – like, they're pretty balanced, but they're balanced in averaging 63 points a game. <laughs> like, yeah. This is just – like, what I, I – I got to look it up. Like their Ken Palm numbers are, yeah, 121 in Ken Palm and net of 138. This is a team that we should blow out by 20, 30 points, Rob. Yeah, no, it's they, they really don't have, they don't have strong wins. They've got a bunch of losses on the schedule. There's not a whole lot that you can point to here as a Butler fan to say, yeah, we feel good about this team based on what we've seen to date. Like you said, there's not, they're, they're balanced in kind of a bad way. They just have a bunch of guys who average around 10 points a game. They don't really have a, a killer at this point who's going to take it over and really kind of worries me all that much. This should 100% be a, a, an easy win, especially the fact that it's at home. I mean, this is, this is a no-brainer. So, you know, I would say worst case, we come out of this week at a one-and-one one situation because there's just no way that we'd follow up a loss to Xavier with no a loss uh, to Butler. Just not, no, not happening. Like not as happening. much as I might, as much as I, they like to talk about the Butler way, which like whatever, and whatever that means, same thing Villanova but, basketball means. It doesn't mean anything other than it only means some, something some if you're winning. Stuff. Yeah, it only means yeah. something if you're winning. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it means they like to put alums in head coaching positions, but um, aside from that, it, it doesn't mean anything this year. So there's, there's nothing there that scares me. I like it. All right. It's easy, easy 15 point win, I think. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, the, the, look, that's pretty much it. We're kind of in a basketball. We're gonna, like in the heart and the thick of the basketball season now, which is good. <laughs> Let's just hope for one thing. Let's hope Villanova doesn't hit this COVID pause because they've built a lot of momentum. That's true. Uh, 
and and we're kind of probably nearing starting to see the crest of this omicron fueled wave so if villanova can kind of get out of this like next couple weeks without a covid pause then yep. all of a sudden i feel pretty good about us staying healthy throughout the rest of the season so yep absolutely um, Let's hope for the best there because uh, this team is really built up some nice momentum right now. And I'd like to see them continue to work through that. Uh, so look, that's all we got for this week. Uh, big game against Xavier on Wednesday. That's the game to look out for. Um, obviously we get Butler another chance to kind of get a little bit depth on that bench. Um, see a little bit more of that depth uh, against Butler as we go forward. And then, as I said, we have a manageable schedule to follow, which we'll get into on the following week's podcast. Totally. All right. That's it. That's all we're going to talk about. That's all we got. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, let's go Nova.